Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mo Money Podcast. This is episode 234, and I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. And for this episode, I hope it's going to be a bit of an upper, something to lift you up. I have the wonderful Cornell Schreiber. He is the host of the Build Wealth Canada podcast. And uh, I have known him for a number of years, for, like from afar. <laughs> We've met, I think, once or twice in real life, but he started his podcast before uh, I started mine. And ever since then, I feel like I've always just seen his podcast floating around. Apparently, he's seen the the same thing for me. So it's like we've been around and, and and basically a few weeks ago, I'm like, why have we not had each other on each other's podcast shows? Like, why have we not done this? This is crazy. We've been following each other online for so many years. Let's do this. So I, after so many years, I finally have Cornell on the show and he is going to share his amazing story of how he was able to pay off his mortgage in only six years while still in his twenties and how he became one of Canada's youngest retirees at the age of 32. Considering I'm 33, I feel like a little bit of a failure, but Hey, we all have our own journeys, right? Okay. Anyways, he's going to share all of his, you know, his stories, his tips for how he's able to like basically accomplish these two huge financial goals that most of us can only dream of achieving in honestly just a few decades. Like I'm happy just to pay off my mortgage by, you know, the 25 year mark. So I would love to learn what, what, what are his tips and tricks? What's the, what's the magic that he used to be able to do that? He also now runs Canada's largest online personal finance and investing conference that he's going to share more about, but you can find more information about that at buildwealthcanada.ca. Uh, but it's called the Canadian Financial Summit. If you're interested in it, it's going to happen in the uh, the fall. So like I think about September uh, apparently it's going to happen. So you can find more information on his website. And of course, make sure to check out his podcast. I'm also going to make an appearance on there very soon. Uh, but without further ado, here's just a few words I want to share about this episode sponsor. And then I'll get to that interview with Cornell. This episode of the Mo Money podcast is supported by YouFile. It's that time of year again. You know, time to file your taxes. So how are you going to do it this year? Why not join over 1 million Canadians who put their trust into UFILE's 20 years of experience helping taxpayers get it done? No matter if you've got a simple return or your situation is a bit more complex, like you're self-employed, have lots of investment income, or have rental properties, UFILE can help. Moreover, if you're a student or filing return for the first time or have a very simple tax return to file, or if your family's income is less than $20,000, you may be eligible to file your return with UFILE absolutely free. UFILE also offers the triple guarantee, meaning you get their assurance of accuracy, satisfaction, and the best tax result. To learn more and to get your taxes over and done with the pain-free way, visit ufile.ca. And as a special bonus, get 15% off when you use promo code MOMONEY. Once again, that's ufile.ca and make sure to use code MOMONEY to get 15% off. Welcome, Cornell, finally to the show. I feel like we've been talking about this for years and it's just never happened. And finally, I'm like, I should reach out and just get him on my show. I'm glad you did. It's been on my to-do list forever. Yeah, and then, both of ours. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, and then when you reached out to me, I was, I felt this is really silly that we haven't done this yet. <laughs> so, thank you for being the smarter one and less procrastinate-ish. Uh, I just had a moment where I'm like, we need to do this finally. I've been doing my show for over five years. How long have you been doing yours? I feel like almost the maybe longer or I think it may be a little bit longer, but it's yeah, it's like um, yeah, it's like close to six. Like five, yeah, like between five and six, uh, something like that. Yeah, I think we we launched pr pretty similar time. Yeah, when did you launch your podcast? Uh, whenever six years ago, or like five. I'll check iTunes and see when your first episode was. Well, I can't do simple math live on the air. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I don't. I don't feel like doing it. I'll just be like a law. Like, okay, let me think. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's because I always see your show on the iTunes charts along with me. And I feel like we're always battling it out to kind of like be on top of each other. <laughs> no yeah, matter yeah. what, like whatever the day is, it's like, oh, Cornell's beating me. <laughs> Yeah, it's always like so. It's like it's very flip flop, right? I mean, sometimes you'll have a higher ranking, sometimes I'll have a higher ranking. Exactly, it changes every day. So it's like, well, yeah, yeah. And then who's got the higher ranking in this subcategory? I don't know. 
yeah, yeah. you know what actually that's funny i've never really looked at other categories just look at like the business category oh, okay probably in other ones i've just never really thought about it not For that, sure. that matters at all because yeah. you and me clearly have like good podcasts because we've been around for this long. Um, so I kind of want to start there. So we don't know when you started your show, but uh, at least five or six years ago, what was the kind of inspiration or like, why did you want to start a podcast? And it's called Build Wealth Canada. So what inspired you to start that podcast? Yeah. So what happened is we paid off our mortgage really early. So we were 29 or I was 29 when, when we did it. Uh, so it was under six years and now, and maybe we can talk about it because I know. But basically, so I, I did that. And then upon achieving that milestone, I mean, it was a big deal. Um, but then I realized, well, we actually don't really have much of a retirement savings because I've been plowing everything into the mortgage. And so I thought, okay, well, how can I best learn how to do this? And what made sense to me is that, well, quickly, when I started diving into that rabbit hole, you learn that there's so much conflict of interest within the industry, especially here in Canada, right? I mean, people, you know, calling themselves advisors, and then they're really just, you know, salespeople selling you high fee products, things like that. And so I said, okay, well, this is also a big deal. I don't want to just take one person's advice because one person can be wrong and one person doesn't know everything. So what if I just interviewed the top people in Canada, the top you know investing and personal finance minds in Canada to learn all these best practices so that I actually do it properly. And so that's what I did. And so the whole reasoning was, well, even if the podcast completely flops and no one wants to listen to me, then at least I still won because I still learned the best practices from the top experts in Canada. And I can actually apply that to my own finances, to my own investments. Right. And so I figured this is like a win-win. There's no, you know, the worst case scenario isn't really all that bad. And so that's really what started the podcast. And then, yeah, it really turns out people did enjoy listening to it and continue to do it. And I mean, yeah, like it's, it's been one of the, the top personal finance investing podcasts in Canada now for yeah for like the you know five almost six years now so it's it's done uh, it's done well and um and yeah I mean I continue to do it because it's there's things evolve too right like technology changes you know all about that right like ETFs different ones coming out and technology and all that so there's always it's an ongoing learning thing right um yeah so that, that's 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 what kind of started the podcast yeah. So does your, I, you know, kind of from the, the title, you would assume it's about building wealth. Is, does it really kind of focus on that? Or do you kind of dive into other topics in personal finance? Or do you kind of mainly focus on wealth building? Um, I, I would say other topics as well. Yeah, it's um, so that definitely has a lot of investing content and about you know, how to optimize your investments, a lot of financial planning content focuses a lot on that. Uh, th- there is some pieces as well, like, you know, with, with budgeting and, and money management and things like that. Um, but I would say, yeah, it gets, it gets more into sort of the, it, it goes pretty deep. It gets pretty nitty gritty into, okay, how do we actually implement this? What are sort of the different nuances specifically here in Canada? I would say that's kind of the big differentiator, uh, between my podcast and many other ones is that I made the conscious decision to just focus specifically on Canada because there's so many great podcasts and content out there, but then you start consuming it. And it's like, you know, um, Roth this and 401k that. And as a Canadian, you're always, always wondering like, okay, I think this advice applies to me, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because it's made for Americans. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm in Canada. I'm going to be here long term. I have been here long term. Uh, so let's do this. Let's find, let's get these experts and talk about specifically for Canadians. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense when it comes to investing. Because I feel like, um, yeah, for other shows, it doesn't really matter if it's American or Canadian, if you're talking about budgeting or debt repayment, because it's all kind of the same across uh, both countries. But when it comes to investing, well, there's a lot of minutiae and there's a lot of things that you, that are specific to Canadians. And as a Canadian, you know, when I first started looking at, uh, or learning about investing, it's very difficult to to find Canadian specific information. So I, I, I understand that. And I appreciate that, that you offer that. Yeah. 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 No problem. Um, when I was doing a little research on you, I, I saw that you were on another podcast and it was all about you sharing one of your worst investments ever. And one of them you mentioned uh, was paying off your mortgage early. So you're able to do that within a span of only six years. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It was a bit, a bit under six years. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So why... Why did you make that choice that, yes, we want to pay down the mortgage uh, as soon as we can? And ultimately, did you find that, was that worth it? Or if you could go back, would you do something differently? Sure. So so going back, I wouldn't have done that. I would have 
just paid like the regular mortgage payments and then taken what cash flow we had and I would have invested it in just broad market index ETFs. That's what I would have done primarily because that, I mean, historically, if you look at the performance of, you know, uh, the, the stock market equities in, in general, they do tend to outperform whatever the interest rate is that you're paying on your mortgage, right? And so, yes, you get this risk-free return by paying off your mortgage quicker uh, and focusing on that, but the market's totally out, uh, you know, have historically totally outperformed that. And so so from a sort of peace of mind and feeling good, uh, you know, for being debt-free, I mean, that's great. And there is some value, there, there is value to that for sure. But in terms of how can I maximize my net worth in the quickest possible time, the correct answer to that would have been, I should have invested that instead of just making all these early prepayments to the mortgage. Because we, we had a 50% savings rate. So we were really plowing money into the mortgage. And I mean, what, and what, so basically, I left a lot of money on the table, especially because when we started doing this, it was around the financial uh, crisis of 2008. And so as we all know, it, things dropped very heavily, but they also recovered very quickly. And so if I knew what I know now, and I instead invested that money, I would have been able to ride that wave up, right? And so I, so in a way, I am, I guess, kicking myself for not doing that. But at the same time, it's like, well, you're fresh out of university, you, we weren't taught this stuff in schools. I, I even went to a business program. And I mean, it was like only in fourth year, there was an elective that I did take on personal finance. And that was like the only thing. And this is like one of the best business schools in the country, right? So, um, so it's, you know, so how, what, and that, so that was me, right? And I didn't know this stuff, right? So how can anybody else be expected to know? Um, yeah. So, so that, yeah. So, so what was the other part of your question? Cause I kind of went on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I find that so fascinating. You, I want to find out though, cause it sounds like, so you were able to pay off your mortgage very quickly and it was happening sort of around the financial crisis, but you were also a new grad. Like I, I, I need to understand the timeline. Cause I'm like, how did you have the money to pay off your mortgage that quick when it seems like you were just starting out in your career? Um, yeah. So when we first got out, we like we had pretty decent jobs. We moved to the GTA. So I had a pretty good good salary starting off. Um, also, and, and then my wife was working as well. So at the time she was you know, my girlfriend, but we lived together. So we were essentially dual income right away coming out of university. And so we both moved to the GTA. So we lived in Brampton. Uh, and then I worked in Mississauga. She worked in Brampton, um, both for like, you know, companies you know, uh, big companies, that kind of a thing. So we had like, you know, the benefits and all that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how we were able uh, to really do it. I mean, we both went to, like she went to University of Waterloo. I went to Laurier for business. I did co-op there. So we started off really strong. And the fact that we were dual income right away allowed us to structure our lifestyle in such a way that we could achieve that 50% savings rate. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> the opposite <laughs> of my experience being broke for so long throughout my whole 20s. <laughs> well, I think you graduated shortly after I did, right? I, I did. I graduated in 2009. <laughs> oh, right, right. So you were kind different of... Different experiences, apparently. <laughs> very different experience. Exactly, right? And in, in, like in my case, when I graduated, it was 2007. And I mean, that's when I started working. So things were good. Things were rolling. Uh, the job buffers were there. Like there was no issue getting a, a job. And a lot of that was because I did co-op and I worked my tail off to be able to, you know, go to the good program and all that. Also, you had a business degree. I had a film degree. Very different hireability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like by the time I graduated, I already worked for like Fortune 500 companies and stuff, like in co-op and stuff. So like to have that on the resume, it, like getting a job was not difficult. And the fact that we weren't in a gigantic recession obviously helps a ton, right? Um, so yeah, so that helped. And then also we didn't get fired during the recession, which also obviously helped. Yes, that's, yeah, that's the other thing that I, I saw a lot. Not only was it hard to get hired when you are just starting out, but a lot of people that, you know, were recent grads, I saw they got jobs and then there's, because they were kind of the last people and they got laid off. So, oh, it was a tough time. It was tough. Yeah, it was terrifying. We had a whole, in my, when my first job at university, like what blew my mind was, because I always, I guess, naively thought, oh, you just go, you work hard at your job, you do a good job and your job is secured and you're fine. And then the one day when the financial crisis hit, um, they basically got an announcement, an entire floor of the office I was at got fired. Like they just closed down the whole thing. So, so to see a whole floor just get wiped out. And I'm like, oh, so it even like, I'm sure not all those people were bad workers, right? Like they were good. Like, you know what I mean? There were some good performers. It really came down to numbers. Like how can we save money? Let's cut that floor. <laughs> exactly, right? Crisis mode. Let's just, like this division's less not profitable. So, or not as profitable as we want it to be. 
done, you know? Uh, so, so that, that blew my mind. Yeah. So fortunately, yeah, we didn't, I never got fired or anything. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were able to pay off your mortgage super quickly. Amazing. And then once you reached that goal, is that when you're like, Hmm, now we should start saving for retirement. And that's kind of maybe when you realized maybe we should have been doing this earlier. Exactly. Once I went down the rabbit hole of, of investing and I was like, Oh wow, this really has outperformed the real estate, you know, and, and, uh, or, or the interest rate rather, right. That we decided to opt, um, that we decided to save on, right? Instead of investing. Um, yeah, so, so no, that was that was it, yeah. Um, and you kind of mentioned too that, you know, on your podcast, you sometimes talk about financial planning and stuff. Do you have like a, a personal experience of like working with like that traditional bank financial planner and them <laughs> steering in you? Because it sounds like right now and you're kind of like on the same page as me, you know, very much into, you know, passive investing and, you know, index ETFs and all that kind of stuff, which I think are great. Sounds like maybe you weren't always doing that because most people don't know that at the start. Man, if I knew all this stuff that I know now earlier, I'd be so much richer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, so what, what is your, um, yeah. uh, just, so do you have any, uh, like a, a personal experience that, you know, maybe you were in mutual funds and then you learned, Oh, there's a different way to do things. Yeah, no. So I, my, I, before I dived into investing, I learned as much as I possibly could about it. Like I read every book I could get my hands on, you know, reading the blogs, started the podcast as well, right. To get a specifically Canadian perspective as well. Um, so no, so that, that was my, that was my experience. So no, so I, I never had a thing where I was in mutual funds. So you didn't really make as many mistakes as the rest of us. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, 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 I guess yeah, I guess it wasn't so bad because my my big mistake was deciding to pay off the mortgage instead of you know investing in equities when they were down in, in the two thousand eight financial. So that was so yes, I left money on the table, but it wasn't like once I dived into investing, I went you know. I really made sure I, I knew how to do it efficiently and how to pay the lowest fees before I actually pulled the trigger hundred percent. Cause for like, from, cause what happened, right. Is we were, we had that 50% savings rate. And so that's quite a bit of money that we were pumping into the mortgage. And when that mortgage was paid off, it was okay. Now we're going to pump that into investing. So if I'm pumping a, an entire person's annual salary into investing, I better figure out how to do this properly to not mess this up. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely went, went all out and learning this. Yeah, for wow. sure. So it sounds like basically you were kind of living on one salary and then saving the other salary. Wow. that's it, it, Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty much, that's been our, our, what we did. Um, and then to kind of get to that goal faster too, like I started a, a side business as well, not the of Canada. This was before it was actually like in rock climbing. So, Oh yeah. I feel like I saw that when I was doing research and I'm like, is this the same Cornell? Cause I think I found your book on Amazon. I'm like, is this the same person? That seems very different. It's on Amazon. Yeah. I think the videos are up there. They've got like, like, I think it's like, it's like well over a million views at this point. But yeah, like, so, so that was like my, like, you know, side hustle, so to speak, because I was all into rock climbing and, or I still am. Um, and so that was, so I thought, okay, well, this will be fun. I get to learn rock climb. I get to talk to experts about that and I can make money of that. And then, so we ended up, I ended up basically using that money as our like fun money and to pay for some of our vacations too. And so that was one of the ways that I tweaked things so that we could get our savings rate to be even higher, right? Because initial was 50%, but then you start getting raises and then eventually your mortgage is paid off. So you can plow that into investments. Plus you've got a side hustle that pretty much pays for all your like fun things like going out to eat and things like that. And so that's how we were able to really go you know, full out and pump as much money into investing as possible, which resulted in the financial independence at 32 piece. Yeah. Okay. So let me get this right. So you were able to pay off your mortgage by 29 and then reach financial independence by 32. That's right. Yeah. So in three years you were able to reach financial independence. Yep. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. I'm so, that's crazy. Was it really just like living below your means and investing in index ETFs and, and, and that's kind of it? Is that, is that the strategy? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, so there was the ETFs. Also, I became a landlord as well. Um, oh, like a, some real estate. So I did okay. have some real estate as well. Yeah. That was the other, I would say, component of it. Um, yeah. So I did have a rental property, uh, which, which, ha- well, real estate has done well, at, uh, <laughs> as you know, uh, recently, right? Uh, for the past several years. And, and so what, what ended up happening, like, yeah. So that's, that's true. I can see how we'd be like, well, that doesn't make sense. It should be even like, how did it get that? 
how did it grow? How did the portfolio grow so much so quickly? Well, yeah, so we had, I mean, we've had a bull market for quite a while now. Well, not, not so much now with coronavirus and stuff, but, you know, before that, the markets were growing very nicely. And the real estate market in Ontario, or where we are, uh, like Kitchener Waterloo, has also been growing nicely. You know, So we had our primary residence, which was appreciating in value. And then we also had our rental property, which was also appreciating in value. So that property was spitting off positive cash flow and it was appreciating. At this point, I've, I've sold it because I just love investing too much like a passive index investing it's because real estate investing isn't very passive I've learned it. so yeah yeah so what we were able to do is we were able to ride the wave of the you know the ETFs going up in value and we were able to ride the wave of two properties going up in value um, because what we ended up doing is once we kind of eventually I crunched the numbers to figure that we were financially independent, we'd actually decided, well, if, if we actually like downsize, we would become financially independent. And so we actually sold off uh, like our much, like now we live in a much smaller house. We sold off our bigger house and we sold off the rental and we had those ETFs as well. And so that helped us get there. So we were able to ride, you know, both the real estate wave and the equities going up wave. And then we downsized, you know, the house to be able to cash in on the capital gains of both the rental property and the primary residence. Um, so you don't have to do it that way. I'm not saying like, oh, you have to be a real estate investor and a passive index investor. Too. No, but it's it's common when I talk to other people who've reached financial independence, I'd say all of them have owned real estate. Either they currently do and they still get that rental income or they have in the past. So I'm like, that's always an interesting element that everyone has that in common. Yeah. So, so, I, mean, so I mean, that ended up being lucrative as well. Like we definitely made quite a bit, uh, quite a bit on that. Um, and, and that helped us get there as well. But I mean, it was, it was anything yeah. but passive. <laughs> so, even though I, I love that, like the tenants were amazing. I liked them so much. Uh, they were fantastic. But he, so I'm like, even with perfect tenants, it's still a ridiculous, it, it can, it, it's still a lot of work and stress because things break, right? Like uh, furnaces in the winter when you have a family with kids living there and now you're taking a vacation day off work to fix, to get the furnace fixed. And you know what I mean? Like things like that, right? Like just these crazy stories, they do actually happen. So, well, I find that when most people talk about any type of passive income, if you actually really know that whatever they're talking about, you're like, that's not passive. Nothing is really that passive besides maybe investing and getting dividend income. <laughs> like, yeah, pr- pretty much. I'm, pretty I'm much. of that opinion as well. There's a whole industry built around people selling people marketing. Uh, or you know, oh, like know. Uh, courses, right? Where oh, hey, I know. you learn this <laughs> and you have passive income forever, and you don't have to work. And it and it's just that the reality from people that have you know like seasoned business owners like you and I, uh, you learn that that's just not true. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's honestly a big pet peeve. And I feel like I just had this conversation with my husband today. He's like, maybe you should stop going on Instagram because I keep on going on Instagram and seeing these people that are selling this dream of, oh, I make, you know, five figures every month and so can you. And I'm like, how the hell is that possible? (laughs) I know a little bit about you and I don't know if that is true. Like maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. I don't know. I don't know what their financials are, but just this idea that, yeah, they're selling uh, this idea on either I can help you make more money. I'm like, well, no. No one can guarantee that. Or I can help you uh, build a business of passive income so you can just relax on the beach and money comes in. Like, well, that's not true. Any business owner knows there's no such thing. That's right. Uh, of just a true passive income, you're working on something. But yeah, if you are working that much, or if, if you are, if, you, if it is true that they are earning that much, then guaranteed they are working their tail off. Um, probably building that business that's telling you how they made all this money. So you buy their program and then you can also have this. And that's the thing, right? Like, I, you can't one thing I've learned, right, is you can't harvest a business indefinitely and expect the money to roll in all the time. Like I'll give you, like even with the rock climbing thing, right, that I did in the beginning, right? Like now I don't really, I don't do that anymore. And yeah, it did generate some passive income for a time, uh, but it wasn't really even passive anyway, because you had to put all the work up front and then you hope that it actually, people actually buy it and, and, you know, and do this stuff. And so hopefully you get some sort of compensation for your time in the future. Um, but even if you do get past that and you are getting that compensation, well, you can't just, li- that's not just going to be always coming in all the time. Things change, right? Technology changes. Uh, you know, the, the content needs to be updated. You can't just harvest the business forever and expect the money to come in. Um, but, but there's such a big industry telling people that you can it does. I know. It drives me <laughs> crazy when I see people saying, I'm consistently making X amount of money every month. I'm like, no, you're not. Cause I, I mean, there's no way that you're making, like, it depends on what your business is, but if you're like a quote unquote coach and there's a billion out there, I mean, as someone who's been running her own business for th- over three years now, full time, I will tell you not one of my months are consistent. Yeah. 
like maybe if we're to look at the whole year and then average it out, then I could be like consistently I may no, but it's literally very up and down. I'll have some months where I'm like, that's crazy. I made a lot of money. And some months where I'm like, okay, good thing I have some money in savings because it's up and down. You just never know. So uh, listen to me and Cornell, everybody. If someone is trying to sell you something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is, especially if it's a someone who's trying to sell you, I can help you build passive income and they are actively working. <laughs> right? You're like, wait a minute. That's the thing, right? Is, is your primary business telling people how to make passive income? You know what I mean? And if the answer is yes, then that's a huge red flag. And then there's some people where they're like, well, I have a side business. And yeah, I have a side business that's not in selling these kinds of products. But then, you know, that might only be like, you know, 5% of their annual income comes from that little side. And then 95% comes of our income comes from telling people how to build these businesses. You know what I mean? So I know. And and firstly, I know some people who started as a money coach and then became a business coach because obviously they found it more lucrative. But I'm like, so they're a money coach and then they're a business coach teaching other people how to become money coaches. And I'm like, okay, I can't. I cannot. <laughs> I can't deal with this. It's just, it drives me a little bonkers. But it is, it's just, it's what's trendy right now. And I think what people don't realize, especially too, with learning how to be a coach, because it seems like, oh, it doesn't seem like anyone is not regulated. Anyone can call themselves a coach of whatever. It's like, as someone who is a financial counselor, does have actual credentials and worked with, uh, and still work with uh, clients, I realize, oh, it can never be a huge part of my business because you're literally trading time for money and there's only so much time and only so much you can charge people. So just so you know, you're never going to be a millionaire <laughs> if you're a coach, unless you're going to charge people $10,000 per hour or something ridiculous. But and that is a whole other thing that we could talk about for a million years, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that to everybody. Um, so I feel like I have a better understanding of how you reach financial dependence, which I still find so crazy amazing. What, now that you're financially independent, what do you guys do? I'm always so curious, like, okay, a lot of people strive towards this goal and sometimes don't think about what are they going to do once they reach it? What was, what were your kind of plans? And like, once we reach financial independence, this is what our, our lives are going to look like. Yeah. So the, the plan was to travel a lot, uh, which did not work out because no? we have two little kids oh. and one of them hates traveling very much. So, uh, so, <laughs> so that really? yeah, I had all these plans, all these documents, like we're going to go here and we're going to go there and we're going to do this and it's going to be awesome. And we're just going to like travel the country and all this stuff. And then our kid, like our baby, he, I mean, if he won't be in the car for more than half an hour before he starts freaking out. So we're like, okay, local things it is for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that never, uh, so uh, that's going to end eventually. Right. So eventually we are, I, I definitely, uh, I had to put that on the back burner, but we're definitely going to be doing a lot of traveling, uh, things like that with the kids. Uh, and just, yeah, but it, it, it's been an interest. It's been a really interesting journey because when we first, and I think this is kind of a good warning to, to a lot of people who, who are want to be part of the fire movement or are part of the fire movement, want to do that whole, you know, retire early, achieve financial independence thing. So in my case, yeah, I didn't particularly like my job. And so and that was a big motivator for me to get financial independent ASAP. And then what, once we got there, uh, it was interesting because uh, like I did basically I did like a full, full blown retirement and I only lasted about five, six months before I started feeling very antsy, very unfulfilled, not very, you know, not as happy as I thought I should be. What does full retirement look like? Just so people can get a sense of what you mean. Yeah. So basically in my, I guess in my case, what it was is I would make one podcast episode once a month and that's it. Oh. Like, like, like oh. nothing, like nothing, like no, no other side projects, no side, like, you know, no, no, nothing. Just like having, like just enjoying yourself, like catching up on shows or playing games, going out with doing stuff with the kids, with the family, just, just not, yeah, basically just a life of leisure other than, you know, spending like a day, do it or a day and a half or whatever, you know, working on an episode uh, once a month. Right. So like that was my thing. And so what I noticed was that, so, so after like, you know, five months or, or six months of that, I started feeling like not as happy as I thought I should be. And I thought this like whole 
almost exclusive life of leisure. Actually, like, why aren't I happy? I should totally be happier. Um, and then what I noticed, it was weird. I was working on one of my podcast episodes and like, it was a, like, it was a great guest. We had a great interview. I was learning a lot from them. It was just, you know, things were going awesome. It was so enjoyable. And I thought, Oh my goodness. Like I just, and then, you know, before that day I was like watching TV or playing a game or something. And I'm like, you know what? I actually had more fun doing this interview and learning and, and being involved because it's like mentally stimulating, really stimulating, all that stuff. Then I have more fun doing that than just being lazy and like doing this life of leisure thing. Right. Uh, and uh, so I thought, well, that, uh, so, so that was like a big mind blown moment, right? Because that happens to you and you're like, huh, maybe this whole goal of like unlimited leisure time and just sitting on a beach all day isn't very isn't as great like is that that's you can't just do that uh and it's and then i research other people who have achieved you know like retired early as well and i became and it became very fascinating how actually every single one of them except for one so like so like you know like 90 some percent of them um all have some sort of passion project some sort of stuff that they still do even though they don't have to technically because they have the their financial independence, they don't have to, but they still do it because they get it checks the other boxes, right? You get more fulfilled, you're happy, you get a creative outlet, you're learning, you're interacting with people. Like all these human needs actually do get satisfied with work. And so sort of my new goal now, so I basically was worked full time and then semi-retired, then fully retired. Now I'm back to semi-retired again. <laughs> you know, but now it's different, right? Because now the goal is not is now well pick something that or learn about yourself to know what you enjoy doing what you get fulfillment out of and what actually benefits society because that was one of the other things that really um bothered me is like if you're just doing life a leisure it's a very like self-centered hedonistic kind of thing you're not really you have these talents still like i'm in my 30s uh like you're just and you have these things that you're clearly like competent at and you're just going to waste them away because you want to watch another season of game of thrones or whatever like you know what i mean um so i so i yeah so now the journey is figuring out what i like what i don't like and basically like lifestyle design essentially right uh where money is no longer like sure you can make some money money is always nice but that's not that's not even in the top three of priorities right like it's more does this make me happy fulfilled educate does it help society does it contribute positively in some way like that's my new criteria now for taking on projects um yeah, so that's kind of that. In a, it's been an interesting ride, very interesting ride. Yeah, I, I, again, yeah, I think people focus so much on the journey, but not on the destination. Like, what are you going to do when you get there? And even if you aren't, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I'm probably not going to be, you know, retired early. Even if, like retirement in general, I think a lot of people don't take enough time to think about what does that look like? And not talking just about like how much do I need, but like what does that look like? I'm talking a lot to my parents recently about that because. They're approaching retirement in the next decade. And I just want to make sure I'm like, just so you know, I've done a lot of research on this. If you just have this idea that, oh, once I'm retired, I'll be happy. It's like, no, there's so many studies that say you will plummet into a depression <laughs> if you don't have a plan for what you're going to do with your time. Because yeah, even for me, like if I have, well, I mean, is it maybe a bit different, but if I have too much time, like I don't have any projects coming up or maybe it's summer, it's a bit slow. Oh, I go crazy. I go crazy. I I need, I, like you said, I need to interact with people. I need to have some sort of project to give me fulfillment. I need to feel like I'm contributing to society in some way. Otherwise I just kind of question why am I here at all? <laughs> it's a big spiral and that's no good. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's interesting, right? Cause it's like, you'd think, Oh, I have, it's a summer. It's, I can just be easy going and not really do anything, but it's, it's interesting how we think that's what we want. But if we get too much of that, we actually start getting like you could actually get like depressed a little, <laughs> uh, and it's and that's a real thing. And I mean, there's been uh, like I remember reading some or reading some summary of some study once about like CEOs who retired and then they would die like so much quicker just just because you know. And I'm like, well, I can because you're you know you, you had you've been running this company, you have all these things. It's fulfilling all these needs you have as a human in terms of like psychological needs, right? Like the creative stimulation, the, all that stuff, intellectual stimulation. And now that's gone, and now your purpose is gone. If, that, if that's how you saw your life, I, I could see how you get depressed for a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So so it's, yeah, it's a very very interesting thing. Uh, so instead of I think like sucking it up. So now my view has changed. Where instead of like, oh, you should just suck it up and make as much money as you can so you can retire and never work again. My view now is more 
go through this journey of learning what you like and what you would do even for free or like where money, like you don't even care if you're getting underpaid because I'm not saying you should get underpaid, but like where that's not, that's not even in your top three. You just love this. And then you're probably going to be better at it than someone that is doing it strictly for the money anyway. And it's going to check off all those other sort of human, those basic human needs, you know? So yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting psychological thing that I never expected. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, even if, you know, someone can't reach financial independence, even having some like, you know, saving as much as you can, investing and keeping your costs low and all that stuff. So you do have more of a cushion will ultimately also make you happier because then you will have more freedom and flexibility too. If you hate your job, you can afford to leave that job either for like, you know, some, you know, a sabbatical, personal sabbatical, or just to find, you know, go back to school or something like that. I feel like a lot of people kind of get into this mode of just like grinding it out because they have these bills and they're in this endless cycle, but there's lots of different paths. So even if, yeah, people don't want to do the the full blown financial independence, they could be like you and be semi-retired or, or just discover a different path. Cause I mean, I've definitely discovered this and I'm sure you have too, is what I started thinking that like, you know, back when I was in high school, this is what I want to, you know, do for the rest of my life. It is, I mean, it's a complete 180, like 360 or whatever. It's just not, not at all what I thought it would be. And it's probably going to continue to evolve as I grow older too. So I think that's safe to assume. I mean, people do, we do evolve. And as we live, we learn more about ourselves and what we like and what we don't like. Cause you know, we get new experiences and, it, you know, we go through this whole self-discovery thing. It's not like self-discovery ends at 20 or, or 24 or whatever, right? No, I know. Why do we always think it like, yeah, people are always like, oh, your 20s is for self-discovery and, and you know, making mistakes and learning. I'm like, what about the rest of your life, though? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I still question sometimes like, hey, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should be doing that. And like, you know, those questions always come up. But so I think it's just this like exploratory thing and yeah, you just try to enjoy the journey and 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 then do a lot of self reflection to see what you actually do like and what you don't like. Yeah, so I, I guess also probably a, a component is thinking about the future and still setting yourself some goals. What do you kind of envision for yourself? I mean, you're in your 30s or so young. What do you kind of envision for yourself in the you know the rest of ti- the rest of time? That seems like a big question. The next couple decades or the next <laughs> decade, let's say. Yeah, so I mean, right now the the semi retirement thing is is great because I still get sort of all the benefits of work, but I get to do it for myself and set my own hours and take whatever time. You know what I mean? Like it, it, there's no, yeah. So, so the, that, that part is, is fantastic to be able to basically work on passion projects, but still have a lot of time to, you know, spend with the kids and do things, like things that I enjoy, that kind of a thing. So um, yeah, so definitely semi-retirement is a really good fit at the moment. Definitely not ready to do a full-blown retirement because I tried that and it surprised me. It didn't lead to as much happiness as I thought. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I mean, I've I've got the podcast, so I'm definitely going to keep uh, keep doing that. Uh, there things are always changing. There's always more to learn. Uh, so I'm definitely going to have the you know keep doing the Build Wealth Canada podcast. Uh, don't 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 plan to stop that anytime soon. One other new project I took on when I was going through this like you know month month five month six of the retirement thing, and I was like, I need something else because this is not fulfilling. I actually ended up taking over the Canadian Financial Summit. Um, so that is. It's a it's a online conference. Uh, similar, you know, anyone that listens to a podcast would definitely enjoy it as well because it's just interviews with different experts from Canada around a whole range of topics. That was run by Kyle before, but he doesn't. You've taken it over, okay? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I'm I'm running that now. So I mean, it's great because I mean, it's a free conference that anybody can attend. So you don't have to be something like $3,000 course you have to buy. Anybody can attend uh, and you can, you know, consume all the content and really it's there to you know, increase financial literacy in Canada. So, you know, that to me is, is a passion project, right? I have the podcast for enhanced financial literacy and then there's the summit as well uh, to, to help with that as well. And it's, you know, the podcast is free, the summit's free. So it's totally accessible to everyone. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's very fulfilling. It's, it's very educational. Um, I mean, yeah, there, there is some money that's made off it too. Cause you know, they are, they are businesses at the end of the day. Um, but I like not having, like I said, the, when money isn't even in the top three objectives, it's more, you know, how can we make this beneficial to people, have some sort of positive impact on society, how to give back. Um, I, I find that actually creates a lot more happiness <laughs> um, than being able to buy, I don't know, another pair of jeans or something. <laughs> <laughs> when you already have like four pairs or whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Oh, I can. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> uh, when do you know when the next summit will be available or, or happen? It'll probably be in around September uh, of this year. Like usually, it's in the it's in the fall uh, time. Um, but yeah, if anybody goes to uh, my site, which is buildwealthcanada.ca, you can sign up there, uh, and then I'll basically email you free tickets to it. Uh, what anybody that signs up, I'll, I'll send an email when it gets closer when I release them, uh, and you'll have free tickets to it. So you'll be able to watch all the talks uh, for free. Um, yeah, so, so you can do that. And then I have a guide on the site too, where like, it's basically all the tools that I use, um, like my favorite tools, I, that, tools I've used to help us become financially independent. And then tools I continue to use now to not mess it up and have to go back to a regular day job. <laughs> right. Ooh, I'm going to check that out. I'm excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So if you go to buildwealthcan.ca and you sign up there, um, basically you'll get that automatically upon signing up and then you'll be on my list. So then I can send you those free tickets and, and other content and stuff like that. Amazing. Well, I guess I was good at my last question was like, where could people find you? But so obviously buildwealthcanada.ca. Are you on social media? Can people follow you? Uh, they can. I actually don't use it that. I actually <laughs> don't can. use it that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Twitter is like Build Wealth CA, and then and if you just type in Build Wealth Canada on Facebook, you can either too. But yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I find social media. I actually don't enjoy it uh, that much. No, I don't enjoy it either. But I'm still on there. <laughs> Some days I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, my, my wife's really good at this. She'll be like, like I'm doing something that I feel I should be doing, but I don't like it. She'll be like, why are you doing this? You don't need to be doing this anymore. Uh, and, and so that's one of the things where I'm like, yeah, when I want to have an episode. I'll put it up. Like I'll say, hey, by the way, it's up there, but I don't actively work on like, you know, yeah. Basically, if you want to reach out to me, just go on the site, sign up, then you'll have my email. And then that way you can get involved and stuff. And uh, questions and things like that. I bet you're so much happier for not being on social media because it really is such a negative thing. Like it, it's turned into such a negative monster, but yeah, you found it. You figured it out. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like negative psychological things with it, right? That like, it has been proven at this point. And, and I found, I don't know from a, maybe you, you've had a different experience, but like I've been in marketing for a long time as well. Like just, and, and I found when I look at the different marketing campaigns I've done over the years, the social media ones, like unless you're willing to spend a lot of money on actually doing like paid social media things, they haven't generated nearly as much as other channels. Um, and so I'm kind of like, well, I don't enjoy doing it. It For me, it hasn't been as lucrative. Uh, like the, the, the ROI is nowhere nearly as high as some of these other channels. So, so why, like, why am I doing it? You know, like if I, if I needed to do it to put to feed the kids, I would do it. But I don't, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, then don't yeah. do it. Oh my yeah. gosh, I know. I know. I know. I hear you, but I'm still on it. And I'm just, every day I'm like, why? <laughs> like, you've got quite the following. Like, I would think, I was like, oh, she must enjoy it. <laughs> oh, no. No, I'm just doing it just because I've always done it. And it's just like one of those. Whenever I create a piece of content, I, I just share it, but I don't love it. Some days I do. There's some great things. You know, it's great to, uh, I discover new people and, you know, there's some positive things, but, you know, like everyone listening can relate to. There's also a lot of negative things like going on Instagram and just feeling bad about yourself because everyone else is apparently living the best life ever. Not true. No one's, no one's doing that. Like it's just fake. It's a filter. Exactly. Well, that's what causes people to get uh, depressed at times. Right? I mean, it's been, and linked to that now at this point. Well, I know. And it's just like, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I feel like hopefully uh, will change. Like maybe with the younger generations, they'll discover some, a solution, but uh, still waiting on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you find that the total off topic somewhat? Do you know if like a lot of the different brands out there, do you find that they focus a lot on like, Hey, will you do social media for us? Things like that. Do you feel they prioritize that pretty highly? Not really. No. Like if I work with a brand, uh, it's usually about like creating some sort of content, like the podcast, blog, YouTube or event or, or whatever. Usually social media is just like a, an added bonus. Like, oh, and can you share that piece of content on your social media? But it's never, I don't really do just a straight up social media campaign. When some brands have reached out, they're like, Ooh, we want to just work with you on Instagram. I'm like, ugh, no, not really interested because I can't really provide a ton of value just from one Instagram post. I feel like that's just not what I do. Like the content I put out is like a long form blog post or like a 14 minute YouTube video or a 30 minute podcast episode. Like I can't really be like, this is how you get better with money in an Instagram and just one Instagram post. <laughs> I don't think those are very effective. Yeah. I mean, I, I find, um, 
I've seen some companies, I, I ask because I've seen some companies being so keen on spending money on social media and they're all about the followers and all that. And then I wonder, have you, have you guys actually tracked how much you're getting from this versus other marketing campaigns? Because from my experience, it's, it's just not, I think it's nowhere nearly as good. Like I said, unless you're willing to fork out like tens of thousands on Facebook ads or, you know, let I me mean, to like to run the tests and things like that. But anyways, we're getting, we're getting, we're talking, that was more like business talk. We're gonna, I know we could do, we could do a whole <laughs> other episode on business, which maybe we'll do in the future. Um, but I'll leave you there. But uh, the good thing is that I will also be on your show. So if you enjoyed this episode, you could go to Cornell's show and listen to us talk some more. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. Again, people can find you at uh, buildwealthcanada.ca. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks. Long time coming. We should have done this so much sooner. For sure. Yeah, long time coming. I feel like all these things are like, that's why now we can talk probably for so many hours because it's mm-hmm. been up for over like three years or however long it's been. I know. I know. <laughs> so, no, so thanks for having me on. Just It's been great. And, uh, and yeah, uh, buildwealthcanada.ca is, is the place um, for like the free tickets and the guide and and all that stuff. So thanks for thanks for the plug. Yeah. And of course, listen to your podcast. Subscribe. That's right. Please subscribe and review on iTunes and all yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. So no, thanks so much, Jess. And that was episode 234 with Cornell Schreiber. Make sure to check out his website at buildwealthcanada.ca and also check out his podcast, Build Wealth Canada. And of course, sign up to his email list if you want to find out updates about uh, and get free tickets to the Canadian Financial Summit that will happen uh, sometime in the fall of 2020. Um, I have a few things I want to share with you. Well, first off to, before I forget, make sure to check out the show notes for this episode if you want to learn more about what we talked about in this episode, some important links and all that good stuff. Make sure to go to the show notes at jessicamorehouse.com slash 234. But I have a few words to share about this episode's sponsor, and then I've got some more importante things to share with you. So do not go away. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by Ufile. There are only two undeniable truths in life, and one of them is we've all got to pay taxes. So why not take the pain out of it and join the over 1 million Canadians who choose to use UFile to get their taxes filed online with ease. To name a few of UFile's most notable features, they've got Autofill My Return, in which you can automatically download information from your tax slips directly from the CRA to save you time and avoid mistakes. They also have Carry Forwards, in which you can import your previous year's information and pick up right where you left off. They also offer free telephone and email support if you need help or have a question. And since they are CRA NetFile certified, when you file your return with them, you can get your tax refund in as few as eight days. To learn more and to get your taxes filed sooner so you can enjoy that tax refund, visit ufile.ca. And to get a special 15% off, make sure to use code MOMONEY. Once again, that is ufile.ca and make sure to use code MOMONEY to get 15% off. Okay, first and foremost, of course, I'm, uh, I have a couple contests. Uh, now, I recently drew a winner for my Investing Foundation for Canadians uh, course scholarship. Kellen from Alberta won. Congratulations, Kellen. You would know this if you were on my email list. If you're not, get on there. What are you doing? Go to jessicamorales.com slash subscribe to get onto my weekly newsletter list to find out all the exciting new things that are happening. Honestly, it's it's a great newsletter if I do say so myself. Um, but also, I have two uh, big contests. Okay, so number one, I'm doing a, obviously a season long until this, you know, basically I'll start drawing winners at the end of this current season, which is season 10 of the podcast. So I think about June, I'll start drawing winners. I'm giving away copies of books, uh, any book that has been featured on this season of the show. And there's going to be a ton of books, a ton more authors coming on the show. So make sure to go to jessicamorales.com slash contests to find out all of those book giveaway contests. I am also still giving away a scholarship to Care Perez's debt management online course. I'm going to be drawing a winner very soon, probably in the next week or two. So make sure to uh, check out the show notes for a link to that. JessicaMorehouse.com slash 234. Uh, Some other exciting news. And again, you would know this if you are following me on social media or you are on my email list, you would know this. But uh, I finally uh, have opened enrollment again to my Fix Your Finances Masterclass. I'm so excited. So uh, if you're 
have no idea what I'm talking about. I did this thing called the six week fix your finances masterclass, launched it in January. It was obviously six weeks. I did live kind of webinars every single week and uh, then it closed because the course ended. All the students had a very good time. I've gotten some very great feedback, um, but some of the feedback I got was, oh, I couldn't go to your live sessions because of my job, different hours, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, you know what? I think the best way to make this more accessible, more uh, easy for people to you know take advantage of, to, to educate themselves on, on their own time is to make it kind of more of an on-demand course. And I've finally done that. So if you want to fix your finances. And you know, what better time than right now to do that, to figure out, Hey, how do I make sure my money is all good in this kind of chaotic time we are? This course goes through pretty much everything you need to do in order to make your own financial plan, aside from the investment uh, side of things. If you want to learn more about investing, highly recommend you check out my Investing Foundation for Canadians course. Um, again, you can find all that information on my website. Just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash courses. Um, and if you specifically just want to find out more information about the Fix Your Finances class, go to jessicamorehouse.com slash finances. Nothing crazy there, um, but I'm super excited about it. Um, I'm also going to be doing something very special because because of what we're, you know, everyone's in self-isolation pretty much. And I don't know how long this this will be our kind of reality. So for the time being, for as long as uh, it makes sense to, basically because I cannot leave my house really and I have no travel plans. They've all been pretty much canceled. And my business is shifting because a big part of my business is travel and speaking. Um, I am doing something very special, which is kind of a, an incentive to uh, sign up now and take advantage. I am going to be doing weekly uh, office hours, I'd like to call them. Basically, I will be providing a special link that you can join me at a certain date and time where I will have office hours. It just means I will basically be live on Zoom. You can pop in whenever you like during that block of time. Come in, ask me your questions live, um, and I will answer them. So kind of like, you know, if you went to university or college or whatever and those professors had office hours, um, that's what I'm going to be kind of doing. So you can be at any part of the program any week um, and just ask me any of your questions and I'll be there to do that. So I'm going to be doing that for the time being, not sure how long um, we'll see along this kind of quarantine, whatever situation is. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be home for a while, um, just out of my own personal safety. And so I've got some time to hang out with you doing some office hours. So make sure to check that out. JessicaMorehouse.com slash fix your finances. Last but not least, if you were not already in my Facebook group, uh, get in there. This is a great time to, I think, really uh, be part of some online communities because we're kind of told to, you know, don't touch people. Don't get together with people in real life. Not the time to do that. So if you want to talk about money or have some questions or just want to feel like you're part of a community. And I feel like the community I've kind of built in this Facebook group over the past several years is a really great one. A lot of amazing, supportive, positive people. Um, this this is where you can you know be part of it. It's just go to facebook.com slash groups slash money life balance to get in there. Of course, you have to be an email subscriber to get in there. Don't let anybody in there. I'm very protective of that group and who I let in there. So uh, get in there, get on my email list, and I look forward to seeing you in there. It's a great place to be. Okay, that is it for me. I, of course, will have another Money Minute episode this coming Friday, so make sure to check out that when it's uh, live. Thanks for listening. I will see you back here Friday, as I just said. Have a good rest of your day. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.